really the Bible has all that we need. It tells us the origins of our sexuality. It tells us God's standard for sexual purity. It tells us the pitfalls of temptation and, you know, things to avoid and just how to live our lives in a way that's pleasing to God. So really it's the authoritative answer and it provides the ultimate answers. It's really sufficient to meet the needs of anyone that's coming to us for help. Hey all, thanks for joining us on another episode of Purity for Life. Pastor Ed Book and Ken Larkin were recently interviewed by Aaron Santmeyer, a staff member of the Assemblies of God World Missions team and host of the Clarity Podcast. We'll play that interview for you in this episode of Purity for Life. I'm your host, Nate Dancer. Thanks for joining us. I have a good friend, Mark, and he's a missionary in Africa. And a few months ago, he had a conversation with a guy named Aaron Santmeyer, who's the host of the Clarity Podcast, which is a leadership podcast for the Assemblies of God World Missions. And when Aaron heard about our ministry, he was really intrigued, and he wanted someone from PLM to share about what it looks like to help missionaries who are struggling with sexual sin. So Aaron was gracious enough to give Pastor Ed Book and Ken Larkin the opportunity to share some of the wisdom that they've gleaned over the years, because they've worked with many men, including many missionaries. We trust that the Lord will speak to you through this interview, both about the seriousness of sexual sin, but also about the hope that there is for anyone who's willing to take the desperate measures that are required in the repentance process. Also, please note, this interview was conducted via webcam, so please bear with the blemishes of real-life audio. So excited to be here today with two friends, um, just getting to know them a little bit, Ed Book and Ken Larkin. I hope I said Ed's last name correctly. I, uh, my last name gets butchered. Good deal. Well, I'm <laughs> glad I got it. Gentlemen, will you go ahead and maybe just uh, take a minute or two and introduce yourselves before we jump into some of the questions? Uh, sure, I can start. Uh, as you said, I'm Ed Book. Uh, I serve here at Pure Life Ministries uh, in uh, Kentucky, where we're located as the vice president for counseling programs. And um, yeah, I don't know how much people would know about Pure Life, but the ministry itself has been here for over 35 years. It's a biblical counseling ministry that focuses on sexual sin. So we have a 75-bed uh, residential program, and we do phone counseling with uh, men uh, who are uh, addicted sexually to any sort of sexual sin. Also, the wives uh, have an at-home program for wives as well. A lot of other things, but that's the gist of it. Great, great. Ken, could you just take a minute and maybe introduce yourself? Sure. My name is Ken Larkin again, and uh, I'm a counselor here at Pure Life Ministries. I've been here since 2005. I went through the program myself back then, the residential program. And I also uh, am the director of intake. So I deal with uh, students that are wanting to participate in our program and getting them here for sure. Ed, you mentioned um, you have a residential program. And did I understand correctly, it's for men, specifically for men, for the residential part? Yes, that's right. Uh, specifically for men, but 25 beds, and we tend to run pretty full. Wow. 
Wow. And uh, could you, how many years again do you say you've, the, you've been involved in the ministry? Yeah, I uh, went through the residential program myself in 2004. And uh, so 17 years now, uh, I've been uh, involved with the ministry on staff for 16 years. Man, man, appreciate it. Very, very exciting. I wanted to just, uh, one thing that I noticed that was different is you focus on biblical understanding and why the Bible is so important. And when we talk about struggling with uh, sexual temptation, can you just take a few minutes to share why uh, the Bible is so important when we, when we discuss this topic? Sure. Um, one thing that comes to mind immediately when we think about this is uh, 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction and in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So really, the Bible has all that we need. It tells us the origins of our sexuality. It tells us God's standard for sexual purity. It tells us the pitfalls of temptation and, you know, things to avoid and just how to live our lives in a way that's pleasing to God. So really, it's the authoritative answer, and it provides the ultimate answers. And it's really sufficient to meet the needs of anyone that's coming to us for help uh, dealing with any type of temptation. Very, very important. And um, it's like I said, as I've, I've looked into Pure Life and got to hear um, from some friends about Pure Life, they said that's a, a distinctive of Pure Life is its biblical basis and um, the importance of the importance of the Bible when when we seek to be um, restored and cared for um, when it comes to sexual temptation and sexual struggles. So thank you, Ken, very much for that. Um, past and current struggles with sexual temptation can be detrimental to someone serving overseas. Majority of the audience that's listening in today are, are living and working overseas, 105 different countries. What are some common themes that you see um, as you care for somebody that's facing um, sexual temptation and, and some of these challenges? One of them, I would say, is isolation. If you're going out in the mission field, the isolation could be very uh, detrimental and provide new uh, opportunities for temptation, the loneliness. And that could be true whether someone's single and they don't have their spouse with them on the field or someone that is married. But just the pressure and the stress of the missionary life could, you know, lend itself to, uh, you know, maybe wanting to get that genuine uh, fellowship or that connection with other individuals in an illegitimate way. And, you know, then maybe pursue the avenue of sexual sin. Um, with that, I would say um, some cultures are more challenging because they're more sensual or they have more opportunities to potentially feed someone's flesh or give over to those lusts or desires. We know, obviously, in our age, any temptation is only a click of a mouse away. But when the whole culture is really moving in that direction, if you're not really grounded and solid in your walk with the Lord, or if there's maybe in the past they've struggled in this area, then they would be more susceptible, perhaps, to that. And I would say another thing, uh, believe it or not, would be, you know, the pitfall of pride. You know, a lot of times when we're working with the Lord, we can think maybe that we're either, either some, maybe some people look at missionaries of like elite Christians or some super Christian or whatever, but they're just human beings. You know, they're tempted like other people and maybe they don't realize, you know, they need to be beware, be alert, be sober. But the other aspect is maybe justifying their sin. Well, I'm doing a great work for God and he'll under, he'll overlook this or he'll understand and in a difficult moment, maybe, you know, compromising. 
Yeah. And one of the things we see is sexual sin is a big stigma and potential shame behind it. So a lot of times, maybe fear of man, they don't want to admit they're struggling, uh, that they aren't walking in the light and they're trying to do it on their own when God didn't, you know, he created us to be part of a body and we need one another. We need that mutual encouragement and support. And if you're not willing to walk in the light, you're not going to get that. You're going to be on your own and you're going to be an easy target for the enemy, perhaps Mm -hmm. in that situation. And you said that there's a genuine, there's a genuine desire for connection. I, I can't remember exactly how you said it, but genuine desire for connection, but it's the way we go about it that's detrimental. Could you just take a minute or two and, and just share about the genuine desire and then some of the detrimental ways we go about it? Well, God created us to be social beings. We know in the garden, uh, God said it's not good for man to be alone. And he brought the woman, instituted marriage and the family and society. And we're social beings. God, even God himself, we know is, you know, the triune God. He has, he's a social being, even within himself, the father, the son, and the Holy spirit have that wonderful fellowship. And we were created to have that. And if you're not getting what, you know, this basic human desire met, even need, I would say in a godly way, then it's going to be very easy to try to fulfill that in a, in an ungodly way. And a lot of times, even the devil's temptation isn't to do something that God forbids, but to do it or get that need met or that desire in an illegitimate way. And that's where sexual sin comes in. Wow. I appreciate that very, very much. Ed, do you see the enemy changing, the enemy of our souls maybe changing tactics? Um, you know, I, when I went to the mission field, I thought the enemy came to come and to make my life a little bit difficult and to make it a little bit uncomfortable. But, you know, he comes to kill, steal and destroy. Um, do you see him changing his tactics or are the same tactics common and frequent um, that you're seeing um, in this day and age? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, I'm reminded of what scripture says, really, that the, there's nothing new under the sun. And so I'm not I, I don't think the enemy's tactics have changed all that much. He still gets us to question God's word, uh, to suspect that God's character isn't really good, that somehow, you know, God's withholding something good from us. Uh, he gets us to believe that we can have uh, the pleasure of sin without the wages of death attached to it. You know, uh, so those tactics have been working really well. And I think he's sticking with them for the most part. (laughs) And really what I see, I I would liken it to a change in the uh, sophistication of his weaponry. And and specifically, I guess, technology would come to mind, you know, when you deal with sexual sin, the the advances we've seen in technology in the last 15, 25 years have, you know, given such an an easier access to pornography and, and other forms of sexual sin makes it easier to just connect with people do do our hookups and things. And, you know, when Pure Life was founded back in 1986, uh, people still had to go out of their way at that point to get sexual sin. And that, you know, but somewhere along the line here more recently, you know, it's just become quick, easy, plentiful. And the the degradation that we see in the cultural standards, uh, you know, a person doesn't even have to feel dirty or abnormal anymore when they're involved in sexual sin. Hmm. And Ed, do you see it across the general age range or is it, is it younger men, older men, or is it kind of equal spread across the spectrum? 
Well, it, it's definitely spread across the spectrum, but uh, the younger people are, the deeper they've plunged into it. Uh, it's starting at much, much earlier ages. You know, when I first started counseling six, eight years ago for Pure Life, the uh, average age of exposure to pornography was 14, and then it dropped to 11. And I just saw a statistic the other day that now it's at age eight, uh, people are exposed for the first time. So, you know, things are starting much younger and the the genre of pornography and, and things that are available is much darker and, and more perverted than ever. And so people are discovering all of those, you know, kind of fetishes and perversions at a much earlier age. So it's got a real grip and a darkness uh, on them. Sobering, um, a sobering, sobering point. Um, for leaders, maybe that maybe of a leader of a team or somebody that's serving on a team overseas or maybe in the United States, um, they're caring for someone on their team or maybe in their organization that's struggling with sexual temptation. What have you found that helps them maybe speak both truth and love? You know, um, sometimes I think our truth and grace, I think sometimes we can be graceful and not the whole lot of truth. And then sometimes we can be so heavy weighted with truth that there's not some grace there. Um, what have you found that, that helps people when it comes to that? That's a good question. The scripture that comes to mind was Galatians uh, 6, 1 and 2. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ. And one of the misunderstandings that could happen uh it's really some of it's through our culture is that you can think, well, if I'm really confronting someone or really speaking the truth, I'm not being loving. But I would say at the opposite, the person who loves you, it's been said, tells you the most truth. Hmm. If someone's getting ready to fall off a cliff because they've been dabbling with sexual sin and ready to shipwreck their faith and you don't say nothing, that's not love. So really, the greatest loving thing we can do is in gentleness and humility, be willing to confront them about, you know, concerning their sin and deal with it. Call it what the Bible calls a sin. And the tremendous thing in that is like, OK, now they're not a victim or now they're not, you know, hopeless. But if it's sin, Jesus came to save us from our sins. So now there is a way out and you can come alongside them and walk with them through this process of repentance and restoration. Very good point. I think that is the struggle, though. Sometimes as leaders, as you, you pointed out, we we think if, if we confront somebody, it had confront seems to have at least where I grew up, it had a negative connotation. You know, what I mean, if you're confronting somebody or and, and you just you're hesitant to do that. And um, and I think you, you both you gentlemen mentioned, too, about missionaries. Sometimes we, there's some pride there and um, you don't want to you don't want to confront another person that's involved in the ministry. And. But as you said, if we love them, um, we will have the courage to to have that conversation and get past those few seconds of awkwardness um, in the beginning. And some leaders, you know, it's awkward or maybe difficult for them to talk about sexual temptation um, and even to talk about sex. Maybe it brings back maybe struggles they've had in the past or maybe it's um, they just didn't grow up talking about it. It's something they, they don't feel comfortable. Um, can you share how? leaders maybe can push through that awkwardness to care for people that they're leading and those that are responsible for. 
there, there's no fix for the awkwardness, really, but we do need to push through it. And one of the ways we often use here in our own ministry, and, and it's right in our name, it's a pure life ministries, you know, we put the emphasis on the purity, not the sexual sin mm. uh, sometimes. Um, but, you know, for leaders out in the field, you know, one approach might be to just kind of sit down and review the statistics on sexual yeah. sin. You know, it's a huge problem in the church. It spreads across all denominations. Um, I was just looking at some of this the other day and and saw that, you know, 64% of Christian men, 15% of Christian women view pornography at least once a month. Hmm, Uh, 21% of Christian men acknowledge that they actually might be addicted to pornography. And 37% of pastors have said that it's a current struggle for them. Uh, So those are all, you know, relatively up-to-date statistics, I think, and it tells us the scope of the problem. So when I'm sitting there talking to a group of people or, or my people, even as a leader, I'm saying, you know, statistically, some of you are struggling and I want you to not be afraid to talk to me about that. You know, and I'm just kind of opening that door to conversation uh, that way. I think ultimately, uh, Ken kind of was kind of alluding to some of this. You know, we have to just remember that the wounds of a friend are faithful. And if we really love others, we do speak the truth, even painful uncomfortable truth, uh, you know, and I need to just keep the focus off of me and my feelings and my awkwardness and look at their need. You know, this person's in trouble. And if I don't speak up, if I don't say something, uh, this could go unchecked in their life and it's not going to get better on its own. Um, so that usually, you know, can help compel us to push through that awkwardness. And you shared, uh, about the the reality that the the pornography and things are becoming more more dark and uh, and deep, and that for a leader maybe they they're maybe they're concerned about asking questions about it because they don't know how to process what they're going to hear, uh, maybe the darkness of it or that part. Is it valuable for them to maybe find a counselor or someone to talk about um, what they've processed with some of their team members? Or I don't know. I'm just I'm, that's a question I didn't propose, but I've just as you shared, I, I've thought about it. So, yeah, uh, I mean, it's probably good to have access to someone who maybe, you know, has some experience and, and some depth of knowledge in the field. Uh, but it, it wouldn't be essential. People confess all sorts of things to me. You know, that's one of the things that that I really stress when someone comes into our residential program. Don't leave here without getting a perfectly clear conscience. Make sure you've confessed everything, whatever it is, however deep it goes, make sure it's been brought to the light and, and that the enemy can't keep tormenting you mm. with this secret uh, sin in your life. And I find that the Lord gives me, uh, I don't know, just a, a Teflon coating or something, you know, that just, uh, it doesn't stick. It doesn't yeah. affect me. You know, I'm doing his work and setting others free and he protects us if we're the counselor or the, the one hearing all of that stuff. He'll protect us in it. Good work. Thank you for the encouragement very, very much. Does someone sexual, someone struggle with sexual temptation? Does that ever end? Um, is there, I think sometimes we want to get to an end point and say, I, I'm over this, I've conquered it um, and move on. Does it ever end or is it something, it's a lifelong battle? 
Yeah, that's a that's a great question. I remember when I was a, a student in the program here back in 2004, you know, I, I wrote a letter to a pastor that I knew from back in Pennsylvania where I lived at the time. And, uh, you know, he responded to me with some some really good wisdom. He, he wrote something back along the lines of, you know, you sound like you're expecting to achieve a place where you're no longer tempted. And he said, Jesus never arrived at that place. You know, very, he was very tempted. Good very good point. The reality is, and we should just, you know, cross that bridge in our minds. Yes, we're going to deal with some level of temptation. And once we've crossed lines sexually, you can be sure you'll continue to deal with some level of sexual temptation uh, for the rest of your life, most likely. But uh, there's a lot of hope because it does get better. We're used to it being overwhelming and constant. It doesn't stay that way. There is a place of victory where, you know, I often talk about high tides and low tides. You know, 17 years now I've been walking out of my sexual sin and and away from, you know, I've been away from it. Uh, But I still have those high tides now and then, you know, where the temptation is really strong or powerful. I'm not immune to that. uh, But those seasons have gotten, you know, even the intensity of the high tide is is lower than it was, and the 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 low tide periods are much much longer than they uh, used to be. So there is a lot of hope that it does get better, even if it doesn't go away. Yeah, thank you for the encouragement, very very much. What are some some of the reasons that focusing just on behavior modification is not effective? I think as we talk about this, does it ever go away? We can just modify all our behaviors and then we'll never struggle with sexual temptation. Is that a reality? No. Um, one of the things with behavior modification, it doesn't really go deep enough. It deals with the surface, the actual behavior, the fruit, but it never gets to the root or the source of the problem. Hmm. And we know, uh, especially when we're, you know, as believers, that true change begins in the heart. It's an inward thing that has to happen. And unless that happens, you're never going to find true freedom and lasting freedom because you've never really dealt with the source of the problem. So from a practical standpoint, why is it not effective? You can keep cutting off the fruit all day long and you should. You should change your ungodly behavior, put it off. But if you don't deal with the root, the fruit's just going to keep coming back. Yeah. Um, And I thought of the scripture where Jesus confronted the Pharisees and he talked about the inward life versus the outward life. In uh, Matthew 23, he says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you're full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee first clean the inside of the cup and dish that the outside of them may be clean also. So you need to deal with the real core issue, which is heart issues, because otherwise the next time a temptation comes along, eventually you're you're probably going to succumb to it because you're still desiring it in your heart and your life's been moving in that direction. Yeah. So it's a both and it's the behavior modification and dealing with the, the if I hear you correctly, dealing with the yes. real problem. Can leaders, you know, if maybe somebody leader, they're, they're somebody to care for, somebody that's on their team, somebody they're they're walking with. Can they help somebody discover the root, uh, maybe the core thing that they're struggling with? Or is this more for something for professionals and leaders should maybe veer away from helping somebody find, go deeper into what the root problem is? Mm. 
Yeah, uh, you know, you touch on on what's really, I think, a, a misnomer in our society that, you know, the average pastor doesn't have adequate tools to help uh, people in the body of Christ, that, that somehow there's somebody more professional needs to help. But, you know, as Ken was just alluding to, the real issue is a heart condition issue. And so, you know, I don't know anyone who's better equipped than a pastor to deal with heart issues if he's using the Bible as his uh, manual for that. You know, honestly, and so, uh, so we all have that authority as pastors, as leaders. Uh, you know, I would even say responsibility to help those uh, that are under us, help those in our congregation, whatever that is, and especially help them to see their blind spots because that's mm-hmm. that's nobody can see their own blind spot, and if somebody doesn't care enough and come alongside uh, and help reveal those things, you know, they go unchecked, and. Uh, I think you ask, you know, how can a leader kind of do some of that? It's it's not really, I don't think, as difficult as we tend to make it. I think the foundation of it is good communication. It's listening and, and discerning what's happening in a person's heart as I'm talking to them. Because, you know, Scripture says out of the heart come the issues of life. So whatever they're saying and doing in some measure, it's revealing what's in the heart. I just need to, to be paying closer attention to it. And it's probably getting revealed in in the little things that I might, you know, kind of cringe a little bit internally if I hear it, but but I just kind of excuse it or shrug it off. You know, it's it's just a small thing. Maybe maybe there was a twinge of bitterness that I picked up on or or this person just sounds like they're bucking their authority a little bit here when they're talking. Uh, maybe there's some unforgiveness. You know, there's a grudge that I'm detecting they're holding against someone, something like that, an area of disobedience in their life that they just don't seem to see as very important and kind of shrugging it off uh, themselves. Even people will bristle at being accountable, you know, but the, but they show up in just little ways that, that uh, but when you take the whole collection of what you're seeing and hearing, there are some strong indicators usually of what's going on in a person's heart that we want to deal with. Um, yeah, so not sure if I should try and add more to that, but no, but I, so sensitivity, what I heard you say is being sensitive to the, it's not just a, a major large thing, but being sensitive maybe to the, as you're talking to somebody, God gives you understanding and being sensitive to that. Is that something you grow in? Um, both of you gentlemen, you know, this is, you, you serve in this area and have a lot of expertise and experience, um, but for somebody that's just, this is new to them. Can they cultivate that sensitivity? And is that something that will grow over time as they, they walk with people? You know, that's a that's a great question. And, and absolutely, it, it can be cultivated, is cultivated. You know, even Ken and I, we've been doing this for years, but we still go to counseling conferences, biblical counseling conferences, and uh, read certain books and things like that. You know, it just freshens us. And yeah, maybe you pick up uh, something that you uh, didn't see or notice before. So, so you definitely want to prepare yourself. But the Bible is your main thing. You know, if you're staying rooted and grounded in the Word of God, uh, that's what the Holy Spirit will quicken and use to help you the most in those uh, kinds of scenarios. Very good. Very good. Kind of shifting a little bit of a focus, how can leaders care for someone that's been impacted by sexual sin? I think you talked about the residential program you have for, for men, but then spouses and females that it's sometimes in my experience growing up in the church and working one, I've worked with specifically men, sometimes the females 
they can either get blamed or they can be negatively impacted. And there's not, uh, there's at times cannot be care for them. Um, how can we, how can we grow in caring for those impacted and um, maybe struggling with the question, how could God let them, let this happen to them? And, and then maybe in their marriage, how could, how could a good God let this happen? Could you maybe just share some wisdom and insight on that? I'll certainly try. You know, the difficulty is that there's really no one size fits all answer to this. You know, the circumstances of someone's sexual sin are very different. So the consequences are going to be different. Sometimes the impact then is different for, for the wife or whoever. It's not at all unusual for a wife to end up asking, you know, how could God let this happen to me, though? And at the heart of all of this, I would say, you know, the thing to, to do is I never want to minimize someone's pain, uh, but I also can't leave them just floundering and focused on their pain. You know, God is sovereign. God's still involved. He wasn't caught off guard here. He has a plan. And when we look to him, you know, there's still reason for hope here. And that's like the testimony of everyone that ends up coming into pure life. It seems, you know, sooner or later, we realize that God literally can take the worst things that have ever happened to us, even the worst things we've ever done ourselves and turn them and use them for good so that it's like better for us that these things happen than if they had never happened. And, mm-hmm. and we've got, you know, some testimony videos of wives on our website and, and others. And, and that's their testimony is like, God ended up giving us through this trial, through this difficulty, more of himself. And I have a closer, better relationship with the Lord than I had before I went through this. And and if we uh, really concentrate on that message, that there's a lot of hope. You know, it doesn't minimize their pain or where they're at today, but keeps them focused on, you know, there is light at the end of this dark tunnel for them. For sure. For sure. Um, and then kind of shift and focus back. Um, what are some some steps that someone who's hurt others, um, what can they do? A man maybe who's hurt his wife or his his children or his family. Is there some steps that they can take to seek forgiveness um, and how to overcome maybe some if they're struggling with shame because of what um, has transpired? Yeah, I would say, first of all, just to recognize that all sins ultimately against God First of all, they really need to repent of their actions before the Lord. Hmm. It's interesting that David in Psalm 51 says to God, against you only I have I sinned. And he committed adultery and he was complicit in murder, but hmm. it was ultimately against God. Hmm. And that being said, yeah, they need to be the, the bridge builder. Since hmm. they have damaged these relationships with their loved ones, they need to be the one to humble themselves and go and seek that forgiveness. And really acknowledge their sin. No blame shifting. Don't blame the spouse or anyone else, circumstances, but take full ownership for what they did and call it by the biblical name, you know, adultery or whatever the case may be. And then ask for forgiveness, seek Mm -hmm. to restore that relationship, and then really begin demonstrating the put on of Mm -hmm. loving and, you know, caring for the people that they have hurt and show Mm -hmm. the fruit of repentance, not just saying, I'm sorry, but please forgive me and really seek that change. Hmm. Is there some steps for overcoming maybe the shame? I think really the ultimate thing with shame is you need to bring it to the cross. In other words, Mm -hmm. Jesus not only paid the penalty for our sins and took away our guilt, but he bore our shame upon the cross. Mm -hmm. He was humiliated. He was you know, hung there naked. He was a condemned as a criminal and it took all the shame of our sin upon himself. 
And God can help us to work through that as we understand that he took our shame and our guilt, that we no longer have to carry that. Hmm. Now, I would I would say this. Yeah, there's no shame or guilt for confessed sin once the Lord has cleansed us and washed us clean of that. But it doesn't nullify the fact that there still might be temporal consequences for your sin. Hmm. Some people, you know, I hate to say it, but we've seen some guys go through divorce because they finally come to repentance. But they've hurt their wives and families so much. It was like the last straw. They, they just couldn't do it. They hmm. couldn't continue in the relationship. Some guys have to go to jail. Hmm. We've had guys go through our program and because of crimes they committed before they came later on, they ended up going to jail. So, you know, you can be clear and you can be free inside from that shame and that guilt, but there may be consequences for our sin. You know, our culture seems to be changing maybe perspective on the Bible and, um, you know, and the way we people see the Bible. Has your perspective changed? Ken, has your perspective changed on sexual temptation maybe in the last few years? Or, yeah, has God been showing you anything differently? Or I think a lot of it is things are more clear than they have been in the past. But one <laughs> thing I would say for sure is I used to think naively that, True freedom was never being tempted again. Wow. You know, I will never have a lustful thought or, or whatever that might be. But we know the scriptures talk about there's war, constant war between the flesh and the spirit going on. And we still have a flesh. We still have something within us that innately is drawn toward evil. And if in the past you were habituated to some type of sin, like sexual sin, it shouldn't be surprised if once in a while that flesh rears its ugly head and wants to do something, you know, mm. that would be sinful. Um, so that being said, I would say temptation itself is not a sin. Mm. It's when our will consents to it that it becomes sin. Mm. So not to feel condemned if you're tempted, but no, I can say no to that temptation. And through the grace of God, he'll give me the power by his Holy Spirit to say no. And I don't have to go there. So so victory is saying no, not being tempted, but learning not to give in to that temptation. And it's a progressive work. It's a sanctifying work. It's not a one and done type thing. It's a, it's a lifetime work. And then another thing I would say is there's always a way out. You know, First hmm. Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man and God's faithful. Sure. And then the other thing I would say with temptation is we're responsible to minimize the influence of the world, you know, make no provision for the flesh. Don't put yourself in harm's way. Hmm. Uh, don't give place to the devil. You know, that could include radical amputation. Someone maybe has to get rid of their smartphone, whatever it might be, you know, just different things you can do from a practical standpoint. You don't go to certain places that, you know, are, you know, conducive to lust. You don't, you know, maybe use unfiltered Internet. You know, I love Billy Graham had a motto in his life. Never be alone with a woman that's not his wife. Yeah. You can't commit adultery if you're not with someone, you know, so those, <laughs> that's radical amputation, you know, yeah. so we need to do our part. God is willing to keep us. but We need to cooperate with him in this process of repentance and change. If you don't mind, I'd like to chime in on that in a broader sense of, you know, perceptions that have changed uh, for me uh, as I was listening to Ken. It just what reminded me, uh, I came out of a same sex attraction background and, you know, I 
came to Pure Life even thinking that I was going to somehow have my orientation changed from a homosexual orientation to a heterosexual orientation. And, and that was one of the things, and I feel like it's probably worth mentioning for, for people who may uh, be struggling with that concept out there, that, you know, my experience and our experience here in decades of ministry is that uh, God can and occasionally does literally change someone's orientation. Uh, but that is not the norm, and it's very mm. rare if it happens at, at all, honestly. And so what we learn, what I had to learn is that, you know, God only has one standard. His standard isn't heterosexual or homosexual. His standard is holy sexuality. And that's what he did for me at Pure Life. You know, he didn't change me so that I'm no longer uh, look at men and, and feel a tug or an attraction, but he's given me a higher standard uh, of sexual purity. That really uh, is where I'm at now. Thank you very much for that, Ed. And uh, thank you for your, your transparency. So just on this question. So normally I, I ask, you know, some questions that I should have asked, but did not. And uh, you gentlemen suggested two questions. And so we'll go into those. Can I be in habitual sexual sin and still be, still be a follower of Christ? That's a good question. And I would say we have to be careful because no one can tell someone ultimately you're not saved. You know, but Jesus did say, you'll know them by their fruits. Yeah. You know, and I would say if someone's life is more characterized by the works of the flesh in Galatians five, than the fruit of the spirit. And if someone's in habitual sexual sin, that would be the case. Hmm. Then I would say there's a good chance that maybe they don't know the Lord. Sure. Someone Hmm. could be a new believer and they're walking through this process and they have a lot of baggage from their past and they're working through it. But we have guys come to our program that have been in sin for decades and they're professing to know Christ. And I would say, if nothing else, it should be, uh, I would stand up and take attention, you know, pay attention and listen to the words of Paul. He said in 1 Corinthians 6 and also in Ephesians 5, he lists these different works of the flesh and sexual immorality was at the top of the list. And he said, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And he said, don't be deceived. Hmm. So I would say, if you're not moving toward repentance, and your life is more characterized by the works of the flesh than the fruit of the spirit, then you're probably on the broad road that leads to destruction and not the narrow way that leads to life. Hmm. Ed, any thoughts on that? Uh, Well, Ken's exactly right. That's for sure. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. You know, that's uh, the, uh, the vast majority of men that have come into our residential program end up confessing that they really probably weren't saved before they got here. You know, we don't push that agenda or, or try and convince them of that. That's what they come to on their own though. Because the Bible's pretty clear. Like if you're involved in some kind of habitual sexual sin, you can't enter the kingdom. And so I would say Ken's pretty right about that. It is one of the most common questions we get. That's why we threw it out there for you. <laughs> for sure. For sure. And the, the, and the last one, this was another, not an easy one, but you guys suggested it. So is masturbation a sin? Yeah, that, that's another uh, question that we get all the time. So we thought you should probably ask it. <laughs> 
And the short answer is yes, masturbation is a sin. You know, I just want to say that clearly because I think that message gets lost and watered down uh, too readily for people today. There are, uh, I think, a number of ways that you can confirm that it's sin uh, from a biblical perspective. For example, you know, I could talk about uh, the sensual lust that's getting fed in someone's life, the the addictive nature of this habit that that, uh, people form, uh, the bad fruit that it produces in their lives. You know, there's and then there's that whole element of selfishness uh, that's involved. You, you know, literally ma- masturbation. Someone is literally having sex with themselves. And you know, one of the things I usually point out is like, like to me, that seems like the pinnacle of selfishness. You know, yeah. you take a, an act that is supposed to meant, you know, God given to uh, produce a union between a man and his wife and a oneness between them, and we do it with ourselves. It's like that's the worst thing uh, almost I think that we can do with it Um, and you know if someone really wants a more complete answer to the question about masturbation uh, we actually have a a YouTube channel a Pure Life Ministries YouTube channel or an app for your phone that you can get in any of the uh, usual places and uh, one of the short videos out there is, is one from our Ask the Counselor series called What Does God Think About Masturbation and uh, just invite people, if you really want uh, a more complete answer to that question, you can find it there. And I, I guess since I've gone ahead and mentioned YouTube and, and phone apps that I can t- just mention in closing that that's a great place to find a lot of good, helpful information, free information, uh, a lot of videos. Um, the last one I would suggest uh, as a good starting place for people, it's called 20 Truths That Helped Me in My Battle with Porn Addiction and Pastor. Steve has some great short, you know, seven to 10 minute teachings on, on that whole topic. And you say those, those can all be found on YouTube or are they uh, both on YouTube and app? Yes. Uh, either place. We have a Pure Life Ministries phone app or a channel, uh, a YouTube channel that they can access them. Ed and Ken, it's been an honor to spend some time with you today and um, to learn from you and um, to hear your passion for God's word and you hear your passion to care and help men um, that are struggling with sexual temptation. Thanks for joining us today. We want to extend a special thank you to Aaron and the Clarity Podcast for giving us the opportunity to share the power of God's truth with their audience. And if you're interested in hearing more from the Clarity Podcast, you can find that wherever you listen to your podcasts. We hope that this interview helped you to see what it looks like to lovingly bring God's truth to those who are struggling with sexual sin. Maybe you're a pastor. May God use this show to give you the grace to create an environment where those in your congregation are encouraged to be totally transparent with their lives. And may he use it to give you wisdom to know how to have meaningful conversations, both with those who are struggling and with those who are overcoming. And finally, if you're listening and you're bound in sexual sin, we want to make you aware that we have counseling programs available. So please consider going to purelifeministries.org and checking those out. Our ministry exists to help you find the abundant and radical transformation that is available in Jesus Christ. That's it for this episode. We'll see you next time. Purity for Life is a production of Pure Life Ministries. For over 30 years, Pure Life Ministries has been the go-to for those whose lives have been devastated by sexual sin. 
Visit us on the web for more information about our life-changing counseling programs and powerful teaching materials. Also check out our video clips of men and women whose lives have been radically transformed. All that and more at purelifeministries.org.